And, uh, and Brother Eddie, as he's preaching off today, we pray that you'd use, use both of those men for your kingdom. And we thank you for that. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Was there somebody else? Did I forget somebody? Anna, yeah. She has cystic fibrosis. And she's been on the list a while. We'll do that. We'll do that. Um, Katie Ellis's brother that got bit. <coughs> got bit by what? A dog. His own dog. Really? Yeah, I I mean, half his face off. He was in surgery for eight years. Oh, my goodness. And who was this? Uh, Katrina Ellis. Yeah, I had no idea. Brother. How old is he? Seven. 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 What kind he, of dog? I, just a mutt. He's been in our vacation Bible school. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. All right. I'm doing pretty good, but they said it's going to be a long recovery. I have to do plastic surgery, I'm sure. Surgery on him. Well, remind me right before we close, and we'll we'll pray for them as well, and anybody else we can think of. And they said they turned off for Mm. All right, so we come through chapter 20, and we are, uh, I'm probably going to slow down right here, because Paul is about to address these Ephesian elders. Remember, this is Paul's last missionary journey. He's on his way back. He's going to go to Jerusalem. He has plans to go to Rome. His plans are going to be interrupted, and of course we know that. Um, but he is on his way back. You remember what happened last time? His plans had to change because of the threats of people killing him and things like that. And so he uh, went to, he's going back around uh, the Aegean Sea towards Syria, toward back to his home church, Antioch in, in Syria. He's going to go to Jerusalem uh, first to bring a contribution that all these churches had given uh, to uh, aid the believers in Jerusalem. And uh, he's not going to stop. He decided not to stop in Ephesus because it was he didn't want to delay himself. Did we read that last week or did we not? <clears throat> Where did we end last week? Anybody know? Paul determined... Let's just start in... In 16 is where it says... Uh, it's 15... <coughs> All right, let me just start in 13. I think we stopped in 12. Because that was where uh, the dude fell out the window. Okay. It says, so 13 through 16 is probably just set up, and I'm going to start in 17. It says, and when we went before to ship and sailed unto Assos, uh, they're intending to take in Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. He, he was traveling by foot, and they were going to meet him. And when he met with us at, at, at Assos, we took him in and came to, uh, it's Miletus, but my, 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 what is it? Mytilene. Mytilene, you go girl, that's like a Italian dish. <laughs> and we sailed, and we sailed thence and came the next day over against Chios and Chios, and the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at that place. And next day we came to Miletus. Oh, there's Miletus. I thought that was Miletus. Okay. For Paul had, I, I'm goofing on the names a little bit, but you can find all these places. They're archaeological evidence for all these, so it's not like these places are just magical or something. Uh, I'm just not good at pronouncing them. 
For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus. He wanted to go by Ephesus because he would not spend time in Asia, for he hasted. He was hurrying up. If it were possible for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. He didn't want to go into Ephesus because, you know, he had he'd already said goodbye to the disciples in Ephesus. But what he's going to do is he's going to call the elders to the uh, of the Ephesian church out of the city to meet with him. And what we're going to do, and probably this week and next week, is we're going to take apart Paul's address to them, uh, what he tells them. Because really, you know, if, if you notice, he's gone through these cities, he's gone to these churches, and he's been telling these churches, you know, giving them encouragement. We saw last time that he encouraged them, exhorted them, comforted them, but it never really told us what he was saying to them, what he was telling them, what he was doing. I think here is a good example where Luke kind of slows down and shows us exactly what Paul is telling these Ephesian elders. It might be helpful for us to know what the content of that exhortation was that he was doing with all these churches. And it's going to help us as well. Because really, these are, you know, there's there's some debate about whether he ever made it back to Ephesus, but I don't think he did. Uh, there, These are... Um his last words that it's going to be to these people who were responsible for this Ephesian church. And it says what it's going to do is he's uh, the first part of this speech. It goes all the way almost to the end. You know, but pretty much to the end of this chapter. But the whole first part of it is he's going to be describing his ministry. He's going to be describing his ministry among them. And it's going to be instructive for us because all of Acts is about being a witness. That's how it begins. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all that. And we see how that goes on, that they do spread out from Jerusalem to Judea, then Samaria. And now it's the other ends of the of the of the world as they knew. But in that day, uh, they've gone out and done those things. And Paul is fulfilling what Jesus instructed at the very beginning of being a witness. When you think of being a witness, you think of, uh, you know, lots of things, uh, living your life for Christ, to going out and, and testifying to Christ. And, and all those things are part of being a witness. Uh, and they're, they're going to be included here. But what this does, I'm, I'm probably going to stop around verse 26, verse 27 and start in verse uh, 17. Uh, but what we're going to see at this first section is he's going to describe his witness among them and what we're going to do is we're going to look at what he did we're going to look at his life of ministry his life of witness and we're going to we're going to compare that to our lives and see if we're being a witness as what Paul was called to to do make sense so verse 17 says, came from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, called the elders of the church. This is not just, elders is not just old people. He called all the old people together. These are the officers of the church. These were the guys, there's some discussion whether, now remember, when you think of the church at Ephesus, your, our tendency, there were no church buildings at this time. So our, our tendency is to think of First Baptist Church of Ephesus, you know what I mean? And everybody came. But really, it was lots of little house churches. It was lots of little community churches. It was lots of people. And so there's some dispute about, uh, was this these elders all part of the same congregation? Or was the, these the the responsible parties, the officers of the church in all these little congregations. Uh, it doesn't really matter for our discussion, but I'm just letting you know that, that that's a possibility. The elders here doesn't just mean old people. It means it means those that held the office that Paul had, you know, uh, uh, they were the they were responsible for the church. Let's put it that way. 
So he called them, and what he's going to do, basically, is he's going to tell them the last things they need to know. He's going to warn them. He's going to exhort them. He's going to tell them what they need to do as uh, ministers of God, as witnesses of God. And he's going to start off by describing his own ministry. The first thing he does is he describes what seems to me like a life of service. I mean, not just, not just uh, you know, we think of missions and ministry. We think of, you know, tomorrow I'm going to go do some ministry. And so I'm getting up and, but really what Paul's talking about here is a lifestyle. He's talking about every day is a ministry. Every day. This is not just for preachers either. This is not just for, uh, I don't think there's no such thing as a professional whatever, but quote unquote, you know, full-time ministry. I think everybody's in full-time ministry. If you're a Christian, you're in full-time ministry. Whether you're working as an electrician, whether you're working as a school teacher or whatever, you are 100% of the time, you are in full-time ministry. So this applies to us all. Uh, in verse 18, he says, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came into Asia, Asia is the Roman province, this is not the continent of Asia, uh, that the first time I came to Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. A whole lot there. But notice what he's saying. He's saying since I came here, I lived and I worked among you. I lived and worked with you. Uh, it says all seasons means at all times. He wasn't just, you know, he wasn't just, uh, my name's Paul and I'm here to instruct y'all so when he, all y'all get off work, y'all come on to the church and we're going to have Bible study. No, he was out working among them. You know, we read that before. He was out working with his hands. He was he was invested in their lives. He wasn't just coming as Bible teacher to say, you know, this is the Messiah and I'm going to show you all these Old Testament texts where he fulfilled Messiah. He did do that, but he invested his life. He said, I was with you at all times, in all seasons. He was invested. They saw his testimony. They didn't just hear his testimony. It says, you know, he says, you know to them like they, they were aware that he was with them. He was with them in the midst of all of that that was going on. Um, when we think about discipleship, we, we tend to think about having a class, don't we? Like a class of discipleship. Like we're going to have discipleship class, you know? When reality, I mean, there's a place for that. I'm not saying that's not, that's not wrong. That's, I mean, that's what, that's what basically we're doing right now. Uh, but discipleship really is about a believer investing their life coming alongside another one and 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 living life in front of them in such a way that they can look to them and see what what uh, a mature believer is supposed to be does that make sense it's not just about hey come on over to my house and we're gonna have a bible study and i'm gonna teach you all this stuff i mean that's good there's nothing wrong with that but to disciple, Paul wasn't like one of those guys that just came and, hey, I'm a scholar and I'm going to teach y'all and I'm going to I'm going to learn you something real good. He was one that got in the mud with them. He was one that came and lived alongside them and worked alongside them. They saw the fact that he loved them. They saw the fact that he was willing to to get his hands dirty with them to to get invested in their life, to work in their lives, and to and to pour his life into theirs. And that's something today. 
today, especially in our culture, that's missing. Uh, today, everything is about the individual. Even, uh, I mean, even I'm talking about us. I'm not talking about out there somewhere. It's all about individual. You know, people don't want to fellowship anymore. They don't want to, you know, they don't want to invest themselves anymore. Especially when sometimes, if you're honest, it hurts. It hurts to invest yourself in someone and, you know... You don't see any fruit of it or they stab you in the back or, you know, all kind of things happen. Uh, It's easy just to turn inward and say, you know what, I'm just going to worry about me and I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. Now I'm going to come to church and I'm going to come sitting in the pew and I'm going to I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But I don't want nobody messing with me. I don't want nobody talking to me. I don't want nobody around me. I don't need nobody to come, you know, get involved in people's lives, all that. Understand that is opposite of what the Bible says that Christian fellowship is, that Christian discipleship is. That's opposite. And if that's, if that's a, if a person, this is me, this is me, uh, I mean, I can prove this, but this is me thinking out loud. If a person ha- says, a person can be hurt and say, okay, I'm just going to back off a little while. But if a person says, I love God, but I really don't have no interest in hanging out with none of his people or being in fellowship with any of his people or being discipled or discipling any of his people. Um, I question I question your salvation. And I do that boldly and I do that from Scripture and I don't have no problem. And I'm, I'm not going to back up from that for anybody. I question it. Not because I'm a judge and I get to say who is and I don't know who is and who not, but based on the text of Scripture because because it's impossible. It's impossible. I mean, we've been through 1 John in the early service and like 12, 14 times he's already said, if you have been born again, you will love the brethren. You will spend a lifetime. A lifestyle of loving the brethren. I mean, that's either true or it's not. And it doesn't mean that, hey, if I run across somebody or they come knocking on my door, I'm going to love on them. It means that you go to where they are. The things that we love, I mean, we, we will sacrifice for what we love. If I love to go fishing... I'm going to make time. I'm going to move my schedule around. I'm going to, I'm going to, I say I'm fishing because we're fishing to start. I'm fishing to start going fishing with Jacob a bunch. You know, he likes fishing and I'm going to spend some time with him before he goes off to college. But I'm going to make time for that. Not because I love fishing, but me and him need to, you know, we need to hang out. I'm going to make time. I'm going to move stuff around. I'm going to move study time around. I'm going to move other things around. I'm going to make time because I need to do that. I want to do that. I want to, you know, I I don't want to waste the last two years that we have. That's just an example. But you have your own things. You're going to make time for what you love. And if you don't love the fellowship of the brethren, if you don't love, then that is one of the biggest red flags. I mean, that is like a huge stop sign that God has put up. Uh, read the book of First John. Don't even take my word for it. Just read it for yourself. It's only five chapters. It'll take you 30 minutes to read the whole thing. It's a huge stop sign that says, whoa, something is bad wrong. So Paul says here, is there any comments, any questions, cries of outrage? I mean, I, I think it's, I th- we can talk about it if you like, but I think it's true. I'm pretty sure it's true. Anyway, it says, Paul said, you know, you know what kind of life I live with you. 
I was with you in all seasons. He said, I was with you. Uh, he says, I didn't lord over you. I didn't. He says, I came with humility. I came with hu- humbleness of mind. What does it say? Uh, from the first day I came to Asia, after what manner I've been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. He didn't come saying, ladies and gentlemen, I am Paul and I have come to instruct you in the ways of the Lord. That's my Paul voice. He said he came with all humility. He didn't lord over them. He didn't he didn't subject himself. You know, he didn't he didn't. There were times when people challenged him that he wrote in such a way to say, you know, aren't I an apostle? You know, haven't I seen? But when he was with the church at Ephesus, he said, I, I, you know that he's not he's not trying to convince them. He's telling them something they already know. He says, you know, that when I was with you, I was with you in all seasons. I was with you in humility of mind. I, I didn't come and lord over you. I came and got down in the mud with you. With you know, I came and, and, and worked with you. I came and suffered with you. I invested into your life. I, I, I did all these things. He knows. He also said, he said, I, with many tears that he was with them and many temptations. That word temptation can also be trial. It's the same word depending on the context is whether it's talking about a temptation like a temptation to sin or a trial like something bad's going on in a trial in your life. And and so he says, even through the bad stuff with tears, you know, I was with you in humility. I was serving the Lord among you with tears and through all my trials. And specifically, he said, when those all the Jews came and gathered against me and wanted to kill me, you know, and plots against me. And I mean, we read about the riot in Ephesus. We read about the other things that had gone on in all these other cities where the synagogues rose up against them. Understand that. I mean, it's one thing to set your mind to say, I'm going to be with these people. I'm going to invest my life with these people. It's another thing when all hell breaks loose for you to say, I'm going to stay the course. Because I don't know about y'all, but when bad starts happening to me, I'm like, well, I deserve a break. I mean, I've been through enough. I deserve to take some time for myself, don't I? I mean, can you imagine? I, I deserve to, that's, I mean, that's, that's our thinking. I don't know, maybe it ain't y'all's, but it's my thinking. You know, if like, if I have a bad day, and Dana's like, will you please pick up your... Have I not done enough today? Can I, can I please take a moment for myself? Can I have a moment? You know, I mean, we're, we're all about that. But even through trial and tribulation and through people trying to kill him and you can imagine his emotional state when he's, he's just in tears because everywhere he turned, we saw this last week, everywhere he turned, even when he thought something was going good and he was preaching, the church was hungry, dude fell out the window and died. I mean, can I not have this one thing? Can I not have this one moment where something goes okay? You know, he said, through all these things, I serve the Lord with you. I, I, I did it with humility. I did it with tears. I did it through all the trials and sorrow and all those things. He served and he invested his life. He gave his life for someone else even when it hurt him. Even when he it caused him to break to tears. You know, even when it hurt, he gave his life for someone else. Isn't that the definition of love? Didn't Jesus say "What's this is love that you, you know, no greater love that a man has than this, that you give your life for his, that he gives his life for his friends. That's what Paul did. He gave his life. I mean, he. And I love that you hit that because a lot of people misinterpret giving your life for your friends meaning you know you'll lay down and die for them, which I mean that can mean that it's possible. But, but in in this circumstance, giving your life is you know committing to a life of serving the Lord, servitude, slavery, you know, to God. Yeah. 
and it's and it's not that oh I have to do this or anything. It's a willing servant. It's somebody. This is what he wants to do, right? Because of who and what Jesus did for him. Yeah. And I think that is really really major that you hit that that you know it wasn't just you know he got no greater love than this and a man laid down his life. He's like okay, I'll take a bullet for you. It's not that. It's that. He takes everything that he may want to do selfishly for himself and throws it out the window. Yeah, he gives his. He's going to say that in, here in a moment. He's going to say exactly that. Um, uh, nobody's probably going to ask you to take a bullet for them today, uh, but they will need you to lay down your life for them and, and be a disciple to them or be discipled by them. One of the two. You're, if you're a Christian, you are being discipled by someone. And I'm not talking about me standing here teaching you things about God's Word. That's, not, that's part of discipleship, but that's not me discipling you. Someone that's a believer that, that has in, is investing in your life. It's coming alongside you. And there's a thing where you have to submit to someone, you know, like that. You have to have, you know, I don't want to call them a mentor or something like that. But you know what I mean when I say that. Somebody that somebody that you look up to, somebody that lives their life out in front of you. And you, in turn, are living your life out in front of someone that you are discipling, that you're investing yourself in, that you are taking interest in to grow them and to, to, to see them grow in the little grace and Lord that kind of thing um, so a life of service is the first thing that I see if y'all see anything else as we're going through just stop uh, stop us verse 20 and 21 and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you publicly from house to ha- and from house to house testifying both to the Jews also to the Greeks repentance toward God faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ I probably won't get past these two verses right here <laughs> so we may take three weeks a life that proclaims the gospel. He says, look, I was unashamed. I held nothing back. He's going to say that later later again. Uh, I held nothing back. I, I, I proclaimed everything that was profitable unto you. And he showed them. Not only taught them, but showed them. He says, and I taught you both publicly and privately. I taught you out in the open. And I taught you from house to house. And he says, so in every manner of way you have seen and you have been taught everything that's profitable for you. He's talking about the gospel, talking about the kingdom of God. You have in, in every place and to every person, both Jew and Gentile, whether they hated him, whether they loved him, whether they received him, whether they rejected him. He, he spoke the truth in love. He spoke the gospel. He was a witness to what Christ had done. Every person, every place, public and private, house to house and publicly, and to every person, both Jew and Gentile, regardless of whether they thought he was a cool guy or whether they wanted to put a knife in his back he lived out and proclaimed the gospel so you got a life of service you got a life that proclaims the gospel look at the content of his gospel in verse 21 he said testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks what did he testify to them repentance toward God what's repentance toward God what's the difference between repentance and repentance toward God just tell me what it means to repent towards God. To recognize and understand that you, you are the enemy of God. And that you sure. salvation. Sure. And that you're going to turn your life completely around from what it's been in your past. Yeah. If you do something wrong, if you sin, 
and your main concern is that other people find out and you look bad, are you repenting toward God? No. No. Repentance toward God is a... It's a sorrowfulness for having offended God. For having offended God's law. For having... I don't know the best way to put it. To, to having done violence to God's nature. His law. God didn't just wake up one morning and decide to make some laws. Hey, I'm going to make some laws for y'all. Thou shalt not do this. Thou shalt not do that. Those laws are a picture of who He is. He is holiness and perfection. And so when we sin, it's not just, well, dang, I tripped over the line and messed up. You're offending who He is. You're offending His nature. And so repentance toward God is to recognize the fact that you, by sin, by our life, especially the life of a non-believer, you're an enemy of God and you have offended God. Let me ask you this. Is repentance necessary for salvation? Absolutely. I believe so. There's a whole lot of people that don't believe that today. How can they not? They would say, they would say in answer to your question, they would say repentance is a work that you do. I mean, I, I think it's kind of dumb as well. But the best way you can hear this explained, I'll give you some code words so you can, you can know it when you see it. They'll say, well, that person has made Jesus their Savior but not their Lord. That is a person who says, is saying basically that repentance is not necessary for salvation. Je can you imagine Jesus telling the man, hey, Sell everything you got and come follow me. And him saying, well, I'll tell you what, I'll make you my Savior. But I ain't, I ain't ready to make you my Lord. You, you think Jesus would say, oh, okay, that's good enough. No. No. That's the message Paul preached. That's the gospel that Paul preached. Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That is, they are two sides of the same coin. I'm definitely not going to get past this because it's something that you need to understand. You cannot have faith toward Jesus Christ unless you have repentance toward God. They're two sides of the same coin. If you have, quote unquote, faith in Jesus Christ without repentance toward God, your faith is not saving faith. It's not really toward Jesus Christ. And if you have repentance that doesn't turn you in faith to Jesus Christ, it's not true repentance. Think of it this way. A good definition that people have used all the time, it's an old definition about repentance, is to turn away from, to turn, uh, going this way, and then you turn back and went that way. Uh, and so, think of it this way. If I'm going to turn, what you're doing, you're turning in faith toward Jesus. If I'm going to turn in faith toward Jesus, you have to turn away from everything else to turn toward Him, don't you? If I'm going to, look, if I'm, if I'm walking this way, or if I'm walking this way or this way, no matter which way, and I want to turn toward that music stand, I got to turn away from everything else, right? I mean, you can't turn toward this direction without turning away from all these things. So repentance and faith are two sides of the same coin. Um, I, I tell people when I teach the when I teach the youth how to present the gospel uh, effectively and and simply, where they can really understand and keep their mind focused on what the message is, I'll always tell them. In order to be saved, you got to do two things. It's really just one thing. And I'll tell them that too. It's, it's just one thing. But there's two aspects. You have to repent of your sin and you have to trust in Jesus. And really that's the same thing. Because when you turn to Jesus to save you, what do you want Him to save you from? 
from your sin. You're wanting him. You can't turn to Jesus as, quote unquote, savior, unless you understand what it is that you're being saved from. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? You can't say, you know what, Jesus, I want you to save me from my sin, but I I still want to keep all my sin. It's not like I'm saying you have to be perfect. I'm not saying you won't ever sin again. But what I'm saying is your heart. When it's changed, when you're born again by the Spirit of God, it will hate that sin that still lives inside you. It will hate, despise it. You'll battle against it the rest of your life. So Paul's, the content of his message was simple. It was repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. And that's the same gospel that we preach. That's the same gospel that we do today. It's the same witness that we bear today. Any questions? Everybody understand? There is no such thing as saving faith without repentance. There is no such thing as true repentance that doesn't result in faith in Christ. Does that make sense? You can say, I'm sorry, all day long. But it's not repentance toward God until it ends up with faith in Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Everybody understand? Some of y'all look like y'all have a question, you just don't want to ask it. No? I do, and it may not relate, but when do you stop trying? You know, if you if you're trying to get somebody to understand how good God is, as with somebody in my family, you know, you try to show them how good God is. They know how good God is. But they're still rejecting. Yeah. Well, two things. Number one, you never stop. But number two, sometimes you you have to draw the line where, okay, I have I have badgered you enough, and now I'm just gonna li- I'm gonna live in front of you, and every opportunity I get, I'm going to. Dust off your sheets and go on. Well, like Jason, just he just said it. Well, he said you don't ever stop, but you don't ever stop by your life. Oh, no, 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 no. Right. It's not you keep putting yourself out there necessarily. It's you being a servant of the Lord by your own life testimony right. that's going to show them who God is. Right. And I love what Paul said right here because I think this was important when he said, um, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable to you. I think he meant that is, I meant to hurt your feelings. I meant to offend you because serving the Lord with all humility of mind. You know, he did not mind hurting someone's feelings because he loved and trusted God that much. Yes, he did. definitely didn't mind hurting people's feelings. And that makes me feel better about myself for sure. <laughs> <coughs> We're not going to get to it today, but turn over and look at verse uh, 26 and 27. We'll talk about it in depth next week. But just to answer your question, Paul himself said... Uh, verse he, Before this, I, I'm going to have to do all this next week. So we're going to talk about this. He says, I don't count my life as worth anything other than to finish my ministry and to finish my course. He's given his life to for them. Uh, he says in verse uh, 25, he says... Uh, uh, 
among he said and now behold I know that you are all among you who have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more the next thing that you would expect was him to say man I'm really going to miss y'all I'm really going to you know I'm really going to you know it was nice to know y'all and all that kind of thing but that's not what he says what he says is in answer to your question uh, verse 26 he says wherefore this is the reason I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. So what he's saying there is, I'm not accountable. If any of y'all don't believe, if any of y'all have not trusted, if any of y'all are not right with God, I'm not accountable, I'm not responsible because I have done what I was supposed to do. Paul is saying to them, you know, I'm not responsible uh, for who your loved one I don't care who you are. I don't care how much you know. I don't care how articulate you are. Until the Spirit of God grabs hold of someone's heart, you will not be able to convert them. You will not be able to convince them. You will not be able to make them decide. And if you are able to talk them into it, somebody smarter than you is going to come right along and be able to talk them out of it. I promise you. It has to be a work of God. If it's not a work of God, it's not real. It's not real. And there's nothing that you can do. It may sound cliche, to say the best thing, the most powerful thing you can do is pray for them. Yeah. I mean, it sounds cliche, like, oh, I'm going to pray for them. Yeah, we'll pray for you. But the reality is, until God moves on that heart, it's not real. It's so hard to see you know, God has blessed these people, has given them so much, and it's so, they're so blinded. Yeah. By, I don't know what, but they're just blinded. The spirit of this age is blind their eyes. Culture. That you know, <coughs> anything that God allows good in your life is a blessing. Sure. And you just don't see it, and it, as a Christian, it hurts to see somebody just be stupid. I mean, it's just stupid. How yeah. Do not see how good God is. Yeah. And in all fairness, I was stupid for a whole lot of years. Well, I mean, I, I was too. My mama sent people to my house. I was like, really? I could show. I, I they're still here in Brownsville. They come to my house. But What's the name? Talk to them. If you talk to them, oh God is so good. God is so good. But their works show other. Oh yeah. Their works show it doesn't take much more than somebody's Facebook to see that. Oh exactly. It'll be God loves you and wonderful life, and it'll be. But you see them cussing on the next next pay next deal. It's like. Like, I don't want to be around you. Yeah. It, it makes you want to stay away from them. Yeah. Well, the thing that Paul is saying to them here is that you are not responsible for... He, he said, look, I, I'm innocent of your blood. If your blood comes upon your own head because you refuse, I'm innocent. You can't hold me to count because I've given you the whole counsel of God. I've told you everything there is to know about the gospel and about who Jesus is and all those things. And so, you know, I, you and I are called, we're called to be a witness. We're called to be a witness, but you are not responsible for the result. Only God can bring about the result. So today when Johnny gets up and he preaches, uh, you know, if I, if if or this morning, let me just put me instead instead of Johnny. This morning when I preached in the early service, 
I mean, I could study and I could learn everything there is to know about all the Greek words and all the what it's trying to say and everything. And if God doesn't move in the preaching of that word, it's all going to be for nothing. I might fill your head with stuff you didn't know, but it's not going to help you not one bit to grow in the Lord or to be saved or to do anything unless God himself by his spirit comes and moves in the midst of that preaching. And he he does. That's how he does. He comes and works through the gospel, through the preaching of his word, through the witness of his word. But there's nothing that you and I can do. And one of the things I like, I, I haven't told Brother Eddie this, and but one of the things that I like is that, yeah, I probably shouldn't say that. One thing I like about Christ Church, this is something we do good, but I don't, I don't want to throw everybody else under the bus. Um, so is any any questions or comments or anything like that? We didn't really get very far, did we? What, four verses? That's got to be a record for us. Is it time to go? Well, the next two things, and you can see it as we, we're going to go through 22 through 27 probably next week. We might go a little further than that. But what it, Paul's going to show is, he's going to show that he is, he, he lived a life that was faithful to his purpose. And he lived a life that was faithful to his calling. And his life was spent for the mission. He's going to say, let me just read it. Give me five minutes and I'm going to do it. That way we won't have to... Won't have to worry about it. It says, Now behold, verse 22, I go bound to in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city, saying to me that bonds and afflictions abide me. They're waiting for me there. Notice that the Spirit has bound him to go to Jerusalem. The Spirit has told him he will go to Jerusalem. But yet... He doesn't know what's going to happen. The Spirit hadn't told him what's going to happen to him. But it is testifying. He is testifying. Spirit is testifying in every city that bonds and afflictions are waiting for him. Now that's a whole lot in there. Understand, you, you see what he's saying? The Spirit has told him you're going to Jerusalem. But he hadn't told him everything is going to happen. That gets in our way all the time, doesn't it? I mean, I'll be happy to follow you, Lord, as long as you tell me where it is I'm going. No, don't just say turn left and go that way. I want to know where it is I'm going at the end. I want to know, I, I want to know what's going to happen when I get there, and then I'll, I'll be happy to follow you when God, by the Spirit, usually is just going to say turn right. And go that way until I tell you to turn again and go left. And then it's like those GPS deals. I've said that before. I don't like the I don't like plugging it in and just it telling me turn right, turn left. You know, I want to see the steps to get me to where I'm going so I know I'm gonna get there the right way, rather than just trusting this little thing to say, All right, turn left, you know, turn right, turn whatever. That's the way we treat God. God, I'll be happy to go wherever you send me. You just lay out the plan and let me check it all out and then I'll go. When reality is God most of the time just says, you just go and I'll let you know where you hit it. He told Abraham, you go to a land that I'm going to show you. He didn't say where. He just said, you just go and I'll direct your path. I'll direct your whatever. That's a whole lot harder, isn't it? If God came to you today and said, I want you to go to Africa and you knew it was God. You knew it was him. You knew what he said. You probably wouldn't have a problem with saying, OK, I'm going to go to Africa. But if when God says, I want you just to go and do, you know, we have a problem if it's not laid out. Like tomorrow, all y'all are going to go to work. And 
most of us are going to be thinking, oh, well, it's another day of work. When reality, God has laid that day out before you to be a witness. There's, there's something that God has intended for you. He's going to teach you something. He's going to allow you to witness some, to someone. He's going to allow you to be a testimony to Him in some way, shape, or form. He's going to come and allow you to grow closer to Him in some way, shape, or form. He, he probably isn't going to wake you up at 7 o'clock in the morning and say, today at 3 o'clock you're going to know me better than you ever have before. Today at 2.30 you're going to meet this red-headed guy that's going to need... He's not going to tell you what's in store, but he is going to tell you today is the day that I've given you to go and 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 to be faithful to me and be a witness to me. And a lot of times we lose that purpose. Like your f- family... If you knew tomorrow that I'm going to have lunch with them at 12, you'd be getting yourself ready. Like, okay, I'm going to have an opportunity. I'm going to have an opportunity. to, And that's a good thing. Nothing wrong with that. But if you knew that you weren't going to see any of them tomorrow, or you thought you weren't going to see, it, there's a sense, oh, it's just a regular old day. I don't have to worry about nothing. I don't have to think about nothing. I don't have to worry. You know, it's just a day. It's just a regular old day. When the reality is that God, if, we, if God is sovereign, and He is, and He's called us to be a witness, and He has, He has laid out the purpose of, even as mundane as it seems, as normal a day as it seems, nothing going on, nothing exciting, nothing great happening, God God has laid out for you to be a witness on that day, even more so than on the day where you get all hyped up. I was convicted, last thing, and then we're going to stop. I don't have time to finish. But I was convicted a while back. This has been years ago. I only got to, I was, I was, I only preached when Brother Eddie was gone, you know, and which was a blessing to me. Uh, but I, I found myself, what I was doing was, when I knew it was going to be gone and I knew I was going to be preaching, I would spend days beforehand just praying, God, wow, just save somebody. Just, you know, move, and, you know, just all this. Boy, I was, I was all, you know, but on the days he preached, I wasn't doing that. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's all, this is a regular old day, you know, this is a... And I caught myself like, well, wait a minute now. Is this about God saving somebody or is this about you preaching? I mean, which one is it? Is it, is it just, you know, I, I, I didn't hear no voice or nothing, but I, I just got the thought in my head like, you know, uh, boy, you sure are calling out when you preaching. I don't know why you ain't, I mean, if it's really about somebody getting saved, you'd be calling out no matter who's preaching. You know, and so I caught myself doing the very thing that we're talking about here. If I know I'm going to be involved, oh, I'm prepared. I'm getting myself ready. But if it's just a regular old day, you know what I mean? We can stay up late Saturday. We can go whatever. We go to friend's house, play cards. We can do whatever. It don't matter. It's just a regular old day tomorrow, you know, as long as I'm not involved. And that's so wrong. That's so sinful. The reality is that no matter what's going on today, today Brother Johnny's going to come and preach. Okay? And what if you had the opportunity to testify before the congregation today? Just say, you know, you had the opportunity to stand up and to tell what Jesus has done in your life. Would you have spent last night doing what you ever it is that you did? Or would you have spent last night preparing yourself, praying that God would move, praying that God would? And if you if you say yes, the question is, why didn't you do that when you knew you were going to be here and Brother John was going to be preaching or Brother Eddie was going to be preaching? 
shouldn't we always have our testimony ready? You should always have your testimony ready, but you know the difference between what I'm saying. Like, when you have to actually stand up and speak in front of 300 people. It's, it, it's a little easier to do. Be honest. It's a little easier to do when you don't know it's coming, right? Because you don't have to worry about it. You just, okay, I'm going to get up. And... But if you knew, my point is, you're right, Miss Judy. My point is, my point is, we tend to wait for the events to prepare ourselves to be a witness rather than just preparing ourselves daily to be a witness. And, and we look down on those mundane days where it's nothing really fancy or nothing really big happening. But we look down on those. I mean, we don't look down, but you know what I mean? We, we kind of just gloss over and think it's no big deal on the days where, you know, I just go to work and I come home and I go to bed, you know. When the reality is we're just as much a witness on those days. We're just as much you. God's purpose is being played out every day. Even no matter how mundane the day seems, it's being played out every day. And there's not a sparrow falls to the ground that God is not in control of. And he, tomorrow, even if you're not going to do anything but go to work, sit in your office, work at your factory, go out, work on your roof, whatever it is you're going to do. Even if you're going to go out, do that. Go home, eat supper, watch the news for an hour or two, go to bed. If that's your whole day, God is still sovereign over that day, and He has still called you to be a witness for that day, and you are still a witness whether you like it or not. The question is, are you a good one or are you a bad one? Does that make sense? So He said that all that came from, He said, I'm going to Jerusalem. Spirit told me to go to Jerusalem, but the Spirit ain't told Him what's going to happen. But the Spirit has testified that every city I go to, man, is trials and tribulations and everything. Let's pray. we got to go to people's communion. Father, we love you. We thank you for this day and your blessing. Thank you for your word. Pray for those, God, who we mentioned during class that need, uh, that need your touch, that need uh, you to be with them. We ask that you would watch over them, that you would give them the desire of their heart, and that you would make a way for them when it seems like there's no way. And we thank you for that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.